a service of rejoicing and thankfulness of what Christ has done for us, I wanted to begin the service by reading all together out loud Isaiah chapter 53. Our lives are so busy, and we want to set aside more time for the Lord, and yet I know Sunday afternoons can sometimes become hectic. And so I thought, let's begin with Isaiah 53. Perhaps you've had time alone with the Lord to rest in Him and search your heart. Would you stand together, and let's read Isaiah chapter 53, and let's set our affections on things above and command our minds to focus and let's take up the things that really matter. Isaiah 53, will you read together the whole chapter? Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall, shall my righteous justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, 
and made intercession for the transgressors. Thank you. You may be seated. Galatians chapter 2. We continue in the theme of this morning of Christ having made intercession for the transgressors. For we've broken God's law. Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. Galatians 2, 19. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We don't realize all we have when we have Christ. Certainly when we got saved, we didn't realize all we had. And I believe as rich as some of the great scholars are or students of scripture are or as rich as we are in our deepest devotion we still don't realize how rich we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ I don't know that we'll ever know how blessed we are in Christ but I'd like us to consider the nature of our relationship with God and the sort of savior that we have it hit me when talking to my son last night that how important it is that we learn to be guided by God's word. That God's word guide our life. And Makai and I were having a wonderful conversation about how important it is that when we make decisions we have something from God. We don't want to rush on through life and leave God out. Micaiah asked me, how many people do you think there are on a Bible college campus that make decisions based on what they've read in their Bible? And I said, I hope there's a lot. I hope decisions are being made. I hope there's, and I began to think of our church on this. I wondered how real our relationship is with God. And if Decisions sometimes in life that are important decisions, whether we are guided by peace. Did you know people have peace about all kinds of strange and peculiar things? People have peace. I have peace that I should, and you can fill in the blank. But I wondered how many times God's people go to God and say, I must know from you. I'm going to search your word. I want to hear from you. I need scripture on this. Micaiah asked me about men who are called in the ministry. He said, do you think men are called who don't have a scripture that God guided them to? Are they still called into ministry? And I said, I'm not, I wouldn't question someone's calling into ministry if they don't have a verse they can turn to. But I think every man who goes into ministry ought to at some point get down on his knees and say, Lord, if I don't have scripture from you on this, would you confirm it by your word? Would you confirm it by your word? And Micaiah said, that makes sense to me. 
We were talking about, about George Mueller and how George Mueller would get down on his knees and he would say that he tried to get to the point in his own heart where he had no will of his own. Yes or no on a matter. And once he could get himself to the point where he had no will of his own, then he would see that God gave him the answer through Scripture much quicker. Kai and I were talking about how do you know something from God? It was a good conversation. I told him, well, you can know when you're not going to hear from God much easier. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I've got known sin in my life and I've said no to God, I will not deal with it. If I've regarded it, I can see it. I can see it plainly and I'm not dealing with it. There is a place where God says, I, I cannot work with you while you've got this in your life. And you know about it. I've showed it to you. There's also when we go to God and we ask amiss. What is that? That's when I go to God and I say, okay, Lord, now where can I find you telling me what I need for you to tell me? Show me what I want to hear. We're asking to consume it upon our lust. Lord, show me the verse that will tell me the answer I want. And that's, God says, if you're asking that way, you're not going to get an answer. But I told Micaiah, I have a big book on my shelf on George Mueller, his autobiography, and it's filled with scriptures that God gave him in direct answers to prayer. And I said, I hope all God's people are going like that. And yet I know I don't sometimes. Sometimes I find myself with, with decisions I need to make, and I don't turn to the Lord first. And the Lord convicts me of that. Or maybe I look for peace. Or maybe it's, Lord, I'm just going to go forward. Let me, let me say it crassly. Lord, I'm going to do what I want. Stop me. Throw the red flag and I'll stop. But for now, I'll do what I want. Is that how we seek God's will? Lord, if you, unless you show me differently, I'm going to do this. And it was a wonderful conversation we had. And I walked away thinking, what sort of intimate, personal Savior we have who communes with us and speaks to us through his word. And I wanted to take a look at what a wonderful Savior we have tonight in Jesus our Lord. I'd like you to see, first of all, he is a completely sufficient sacrifice for our sins. A completely sufficient sacrifice. Number one, a completely sufficient sacrifice. For I, through the law, verse 19, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. Why does the law not have any hold upon me? Because Jesus paid the full price of the law, the penalty of the law. There's no more to pay. The law has no claim on us who are saved, no more demand, no more condemnation, the law satisfied. When, um, I, when we had our first child, um, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of hospital experience. Now as a pastor, I have more hospital experience. But I didn't, I didn't realize how things worked, and so I never had major medical. Now when you have a baby, you've got major medical. Major medical. And I knew about, you know, I figured about how much it would cost, and I, I thought I knew. And so we, we went in, we had the baby, we, that's the general we. 
and we received the bill from the hospital, and it was expensive, but it was not as bad as I had been told that it would be. And I thought, actually, it wasn't quite so bad. And, pay, you know, it was paid, and um, all was fine. And then I, then I got something else in the mail, another bill. Oh, what is this? We already paid the hospital. I ha- this is how clueless I was. I didn't know when I, when I found, I did not know that doctors billed separately than hospitals. See how clueless I, I thought, no, 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 no. We have already paid this. We don't owe anything more. We already paid it all. And they said, yes, 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 yes. You do owe us. Doctors bill separately. You owe us more. I thought it was all settled. No, we owed more. And this text is saying, God's not like that. God's not like that. Jesus Christ paid it all, the full price of the law, took the full punishment, met the full demand of it all. And so it's not that, oh, I thought Jesus paid it all, but there's more demanded. He met the full price. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? But Jesus Christ was sacrificed for us in such a way. Think of the words from Scripture in so many places that the curse of the law was taken for us. The condemnation of the law was taken. The accusations of the law were taken. Let me add a word. The lash of the law was taken. The sentence was taken. The guilt, the dominion of sin was taken. He was made a curse for us. And I'll just tell you, it's wonderful to know. When you celebrate the Lord's Supper tonight, you have a sufficient Savior. Completely sufficient. Completely. Spurgeon gave the illustration of D.L. Moody, who said that a fellow was called up to serve in the French War. And so when he was drafted, he actually had a friend who volunteered to go in his place. And they allowed it to happen. And his friend who went to war was slain in battle. And later, the man who was drafted, who had someone go in his place, was drafted a second time. He was drafted again. And he went before the court and said, my substitute already died. And the court received it and said, if your substitute has already died, we will count it as though you were dead. And our substitute died for us. We are counted as dead to the law. Isn't it incredible? We were dead in trespasses and sins to God, cut off from God. But afterwards, when we get saved, we are crucified with Christ. Now we're dead to the law and its condemnation. I'd like you to see number two. Number two. I think it's important that the indwelling Christ, the indwelling Christ brings his life into mine, into yours. The indwelling Christ brings his life into our life. Verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but what? Christ liveth in me. Now, Isn't that probably one of the most well-known verses in Galatians 2? 
probably in the whole book of Galatians. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Probably one of the most, and yet that is not a verse that's talking about the higher Christian life. That's not about higher living. It's the normal Christian life. And if you look at the words, I am crucified, if you're saved, you are crucified with Christ. Christ lives within you. That's the normal Christian life. And there is a, there's a doctrine here. I'm crucified with Christ. It's union with Christ. It's a very important doctrine. It means when you put your faith in Christ, your faith united you to Christ. Did you hear that? Let me say it again. When you put your faith in Christ, that united you to Christ. So that what happens to Jesus happens to you. It's like your faith binds you to him. So that when Jesus died, you can say, I died with him. This is, it's union with Christ. Do you realize if you're a child of God, you are so identified with Christ that his death was your death and his life is now your life. Not I, but Christ liveth in me. You're so at one with him that when he died to the law, you died to the law. When he, when he took the full punishment of the law, it's as though you took the full punishment of the law. When he satisfied the law for you, it's as though you satisfied the law. And it's because of what Christ did and your union with him. Think of it this way. I love, I love the words, Christ liveth in me. Christ liveth in me. Imagine a conversation. If you were to walk up to someone who did not know any scripture and said, you've heard of Jesus Christ. Well, yes. Do you know he lives inside me? They might look at you a little strange. And you say, yes, Jesus Christ lives inside me. And maybe if the person knew you and knew that you were fallible, they'd say, not you. You'd say, yes, Christ actually lives in me. I mean the mighty God, Jesus Christ, lives inside me. And the person says, no, you're poor, you're weak, you're helpless. And you would say, yes, but Christ, by his power, by his spirit, lives within me. And they might say, the devil can overpower you. Yes, but the devil cannot overpower Christ who lives in me. And who has trampled on the power of death and sin and the devil. Taken captivity captive, given gifts. You might say, but your flesh, your flesh, I know you. Your, uh, the, the, your flesh is powerful. Well, yes, but knowing that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Pretty amazing. We are completely one with Christ. In fact, the Bible speaks of it in these terms, and I love this, that our life is hid with God in Christ. It's a hidden life. Now, your life, is, your, your life cannot be touched by Satan. Your eternal life is secured. I'm talking about eternal life. It is settled. It is hid with Christ, hidden in God. It is, it's as though you have the fountain within of living water that travels with you constantly, Jesus Christ himself, so that you have a part of you, the new life, Christ. 
who's completely pure, completely holy, and you're, you're one with him. Now, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. And the Bible, I like, I like the thought of the son of righteousness when he rises with healing in his wings. And I think of, I think of how our life is hid with Christ and God. And I think of us being kind of like a little seed that are, we're tucked down in the ground. There's a part of us that is pure and holy and righteous and never sins. It's the new life of Jesus Christ that dwells within us. I think of that's, that's, that's hidden. And yet, when the Son of Righteousness rises with healing in his wings, that's going to blossom and grow. And we're going to grow into who it'll be evident who we really are. We'll be glorified with Christ, seated with him. We already in by, are by position. But then we'll be actually with the Lord. It's amazing to consider that we have the indwelling Christ bringing the life of Jesus Christ to us. Not I, but Christ liveth in me. And last of all, I'd like to point out that we have a very personal and practical relationship with God. Look at verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, a lot of times when the word flesh is used, flesh is the word for the old nature. It's the sinful part of us, the carnal man. In this place, it's just talking about your normal, everyday human life. The life which I now live in the flesh. It's interesting. In the original, it's just, it's in flesh, in faith. It's, it's um, just right in a row, in flesh, in faith. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith. And what is it? It means the life which I now live right now in the physical body. Does your physical body have limitations? Yeah, that, life, that part of you. The physical body, which breaks down, which aches and has pains. It's normal daily living. It's Nashville traffic. It's, it is Cheerios in the morning or oatmeal or whatever you eat or don't eat. It's... It's getting up. It's, it's making peace between your children. It's helping set things straight. It's the normal daily life. It's Wednesday when you're tired and you're halfway through the week and church is yet tonight. It's, it's the life which you now live in the flesh. And he says, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, that life which we live in the, I love what he says. I, I live by the faith of the Son of God who did what? Who loved me. Who gave himself for me. It's almost like Paul can't even talk about the Lord without blurting out, and he loved me. And he gave himself for me. You see how personal it is? He loved me. He loved you. Why? When you read this, it's, it's, it's peculiar. Because you see, it's, he's saying, why would he love me like that? And I want to consider that if, if, you, had some, if you heard news and I said, 
Brother Ballinger, did you hear that there was a guy in Nashville who died yesterday? And he left someone $3 million. Brother Ballinger would probably say, hmm, like he just did. Hmm. And he might say to me, happens all the time, Pastor. But it would be different if I said, Brother Ballinger, he left it to you. I'd probably have his attention. What's his name? I, yeah, where does he live? Uh, what's, who do I contact? Suddenly it's different. And I think it's too easy to think of God loves everybody in general and no one in particular. When the fact is, he loved me and he gave himself for me. This is, it's, it's important that we consider and know that the Lord loved us. I heard a story about, I'd never even heard of the war. I was looking up um, something in history and talked about the Peninsular War and how there was a battle in which the British were losing to the French and they had to retreat and withdraw across a river. When they had um, gotten across, many of the men, they swam across. They got it back as best they could. The bugles sounded to march away in retreat from the French. And someone spotted on the other side a lone woman who had been with the British, who had been left behind. She was just a follower of the camp. And from the rushing water and the sounds of the muskets, they couldn't hear her, but her arms were outstretched to the British army. She'd been left behind. And people weren't sure what to do. She'd lost her way. Who would go across? Who would venture across for a common woman? And the story said the ranks opened and an officer came forward, jumped on a horse, and rushed back one man charging the French army across the stream, dashed back through Muskets were firing, all aiming at this one object, risking his life to save a woman. He came alongside, picked her up, pulled around behind him, and began to ride back, and then the French saw what he had come for. Muskets all ceased, and the French took up a cheer for the gallantry of a sole British soldier who would risk his life for what most people would consider not worth your life. The story said that the cheer rang out across the enemy and then was echoed across the British lines as well as he passed over safely with his living trophy of his noble gallantry. And I think of someone who didn't just ride across the stream for you, I mean, he loved you, and he died for you, that he might break the shackles of sin and take the punishment of the law, and we should not get over it so easily. And we want to remember him tonight and what he's done, that we have one who has broken the power of death, and that's the sort of Savior we have. And so what do we do? How do we respond and I put a list down. May my heart cleave to Christ. May our conscience 
respond to pardon. May we choose to serve. May we be willing to wait on him for his word. May we be determined to testify of his goodness. May we be prepared to follow no matter the cost. May we see the meaning to his accomplishment on the cross tonight in remembrance of him. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that your son loved us and died for us. And Lord, your son is a sufficient sacrifice for our sins. And thank you that our life is bound up in him and that he loves us and you love us and paid an awful price for us. Now help us that we might focus and search our hearts as we begin to remember again what your son did for us May this time be a sacred time and a searching time and a confessing time and a drawing near. Would you draw nigh to us tonight? Oh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us that this would be a time of rejoicing when we've searched our heart and we know nothing else that is between us and you. May we praise, may we thank the one who rode into death and took captivity captive and redeemed us out of the jaws of death. With heads bowed and eyes closed, just a moment. All who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are welcome to be participants in the Lord's Supper tonight. I'd ask moms and dads to, you know the state of your children, saved or not, I'd ask you to regulate that. We, of course, know that these elements are pictures of what Christ has done for us. They are pictures of the body and blood. We want to ask if the men, if Mr. James, if Mr. Davidson would come at this time as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. Will you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11? You can raise your heads. 1 Corinthians 11. I'm going to ask Mr. Davidson if he would stand first and lead us in prayer, giving thanks for, for the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us. Thanks to the Father for sending the Son for this great plan of salvation. Would you stand and lead us in prayer of thanksgiving? <clears throat> 